Welcome to the Paragold Podcast. This is Jared Pitney, and today I'm joined by a Paragold legend and my neighbor, Butch Heath. Butch, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. I appreciate you having me in. So let me just start by telling our listeners a, a little bit about you. I've got some notes here, uh, and I definitely needed to write this down because it's, it's a pretty lengthy list of accomplishments. So you are a U.S. Army veteran. Uh, you are the current owner slash president of Heath Funeral Home, which has been in our city, listen to this, Robert, since 1945. Wow. You've worked at the funeral home since 1956. Um, we were talking outside uh, my house, uh, I guess, just a couple nights ago. Right. And I asked Butch, I said, uh, how many funerals do you think that you've helped direct? Like, And he said, oh, I don't know. I've never even thought about it. And so I said, well, <laughs> how many how many uh, funerals do you all have on average? And he's like, anywhere between 100 to 150 a year. And it's like, okay, well, let's just do 125. Then I did the math from 1956. So probably around 8,500 people. Wow. That he has service and helped direct wow. funerals for. So absolutely incredible. You served as the director of the Green County Rescue Squad, which you started in 1983. So that was the year that I was born. You started the Green County Rescue Squad. You served as a president of the Paragold Rotary Club and Chamber of Commerce. You have received the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Chamber and have been inducted into the Arkansas State Police Foundation Hall of Fame, and you received uh, a Lifetime Achievement Award from them. So <laughs> I don't even know where to start. I guess just tell me a little bit about kind of where you come from are you, are you from Paragould I guess born and raised or y'all transplanted from somewhere else and then I guess how quickly did you get into the funeral home business you had to be pretty young well I was young of course but excuse me we we were living in Mark Tree. my folks lived in Mark Tree when I was born in 1943 when I was two years old my dad had an opportunity to, to open the business here in Paragould it was an existing business that, that Mr. Irby there were several Irby funeral homes, two or three around in different cities. And Mr. Irby cho chose to no longer operate this one. And my dad had an opportunity to take it over and purchase that. Where he, was that at at the time? That was on the corner of West Main and 3rd Street. West Main and 3rd Street. Was that in good condition when y'all bought that one? It was. Irby? It was a beautiful old historic type of uh, white two-story residence. Not standing anymore? No, it's no longer there. Okay. And we were there... Uh, and let me say this: He, he seven years later, he was able to. Mr. A.J. Emerson had him, uh, Emerson Funeral Home located on Second and Poplar Street, and my dad had opportunity to purchase that. So he combined the two at the same location we were at on Third and Main. In seven years after he started, when you say Third and Main, is that the current location? Where, where's your location now? I can't even that's, think. Of, uh, that's that's right Emerson, isn't it? That's uh, Emerson Main is by. I'm sorry, it used to be Clyde Maxwell. Yes. But when you live on Main, it, yep. it's, it's uh, two blocks up on 3rd Street. It, is it a parking lot now? No, it's a it's a medical-type facility. It's a one-story brick. It's, next, it's the only property that personnel's Mike doesn't own on that block. It's okay. A, it's right across from Carlos. Uh, Carlos Street Tacos. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. So your, your dad starts the funeral home, and you're two years old. Within 10 years... 11 years, 11. you started working as, for as your a, dad. As a young teenager, yes. So what did you do whenever you originally started the funeral home? I basically was uh, cleaning uh, out exterior uh, leaves and everything else, mowing the yard, washing cars, doing 
Well, some people call it scrub work. <laughs> and at that point, were you like, this is my dream job. I want to be a funeral home director. Or were you like, I'm doing something different than this? No, I was just thinking uh, earning a little money, so I start saving up someday to do something. Okay, and did you know what you wanted to do early on? No, I did not. Okay, so what was that like? I'm just curious, growing up in a funeral home, um, that's not a place that most people just want to go hang out, but you were around it and in it early on. Over over the years and around the country, a lot of families lived in their own funeral home. We did not, fortunately for me, we lived a block up the street. And so people I, lived in their funeral homes. There were apartment in the, the first funeral home we had. We were there for 25 years on Third Main, and there's a, a nice apartment on the upper level on the second story. And in fact, my wife Jan's grandparents lived there at that time. And because my wife's granddad worked for Mister Mister Irby, and he chose to stay on with my dad. Wow. I would think most kids, if they went into a funeral home, knowing what it, what it is, they would be a little bit scared, a little startled. But hear some sounds. As a kid, though, was it just normal for you, or were you kind of, or did you also have those moments where you're like, "I think I heard something," or has it just yeah. always been like that's just it is what it is. It's always like they're just a place to be, and never had any, anything spooky to scare me. So, <laughs> well, yeah, you've been there long enough that uh, I guess if, if anybody would have experienced anything spooky, it would have been you in a funeral home. Um, so you're a teenager. You're doing some work for your dad. Uh, eventually, I guess, where did you graduate from? I graduated Paragould High School. Paragould High School. What year? 1961. Was that um, where the, I guess it became the junior high building? Uh-huh. Right behind my right house. Right behind your house. Our brick. Around our house is yeah, from that building. I've heard. I, I try to throw it in every episode. <laughs> I think <that's> so, <laughs> just in case we have yeah. new listeners today, though. Yeah. Um, so you graduate from Paragord, and then where did, what happens from there? Where do you go? Where does um, life take you? I went to ASU, Arkansas State College at the time. And uh, then from there, I went to Dallas Institute of Funeral Service in Dallas, Texas, for another year of, for one year of uh, specializing in embalming and funeral service practices. Okay. Then I came back home, went back to work, and 64, 65, and 68, 68, and 69, I was in service, and then came back in 70. When you say you're in service, what are you? I was, I was in the Army. Okay. Were and you stationed somewhere? I was I was stateside the whole time. I, okay. I came close to being sent to Vietnam. To yeah. But uh, for some reason, I didn't follow through. So uh, maybe fortunately, maybe not. I felt like I should go, mm. but as it turned out, I didn't. Mm. So I finished my time in Colorado Springs at Fort Carson, Colorado, which is uh, I fell in love with that territory. Mm. Then uh, came back and, and continued my vocation. Working in the funeral home, um, I'm curious, what have, what have you learned about dealing with, I guess, just kind of two different questions, kind of the same question. I'll start with the first. Like, what have you learned about dealing with grief? Because you're around, you're everyone who walks into your business is grieving, right? They've just lost someone they love and they care for. Anything that you can tell us on what do we need to know whenever someone is going through time like that? How do we approach it? How do we care well for them? Is there anything we say? Is it we don't say? I mean, what have you learned over the years? Well, I feel the best uh, way of assisting people who are experiencing death 
and their family are close to them is to, number one, be a good listener, a good ear, and have a compassionate heart. Uh, yes, we deal with people in the worst times of their life. And what I have learned over the many years, and it makes sense to be compassionate, be concerned, let them express their feelings and their needs as they need to. We try not to interfere or cut them off when we're visiting with them. We give them ample opportunity to express what's on their mind. It could be a number of things. I did believe uh, over the years when I was meeting with family, planning a service for a loved one, that uh, number one, I want them to have confidence that anything that they say, and we instruct our staff this for years, always have, anything they tell the director making arrangements may be things that when they leave our facility, they may think, well, probably shouldn't have said all that because many personal things come out. Mm-hmm. And and uh, several family members there, they may discuss among themselves. I would basically not tune it out but because you can't be sitting in the same room, but not soak it in and let them express what they need to and then forget everything I can. Mm-hmm. That, that doesn't pertain to what I need to know for providing them service. Mm-hmm. And so they can feel comfortable because it's an emotional thing, as you can imagine, and people do need to talk through yes. immediately sometimes, and some takes weeks or months. Yes. Yeah, and for those who are listening to the podcast, I think that's just so important. It's kind of a theme that's come up, hasn't it, Robert, yeah. even in several uh, recent episodes of just the power of listening. And I think sometimes when people – uh, they know someone else who's experienced a death or a loss. They're like, well, I don't know what to say. And it's like a lot of times it's not about saying anything. Mm-hmm. It's just about being present, present. and giving them a, a place to talk and just listen. And that can be very therapeutic for people. So it's good to hear that. I, exactly. I, the most helpful class that I took during this year in Dallas was grief psychology. And it I was called what psychology? Grief psychology. Grief psychology. And it was the smallest book we had and there's shortest class probably but there was more helpful information from that class that has carried on throughout all these years i wonder if that book is still in print that was it the, the title of a book or just the name of the uh, class it was great psychology i don't know many right. years ago yeah um well we all experience grief right like <laughs> even if it's not just the, a physical death like the death of a dream and loss of a job a loss of you know whatever your health in some way like i just think it's so important that we learn how to grieve and grieve well is there anything just even around the grieving process like that you have learned and how to grieve death to grieve loss i mean is just talking about it with someone one of the best ways to that that still heal? still holds true that is is uh, people don't need to hold it in they need to express their true feelings with someone they have confidence in sharing that with. And on the receiving side of that, anyone who might be there to help that individual needs to realize that what I, like I said, we do and when we wait on family, don't let them feel uncomfortable opening up to you. So they feel confident that you will not spread that or repeat that to anybody. That's fantastic. I'm curious, Mr. Heath, like, you talked about the importance of being empathetic and compassionate with these people who clearly have had, they're having one of the worst days ever had in their life. How do you do that day in and day out all of these years? Because um, I would just think it would become easy. And I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to be insensitive and tell me if I'm not saying this right, Robert, but it's like, um, I would think for me, 
if I was around death every single day, it could become just another day, right? Just like anybody else's job. It could almost become like just a regular routine job where it's like just like turning a wrench or whatever else. Like this is just what I do. I've been here before. Yep, I've seen death before. How do you still show up day in, day out all these years and not get either cynical or cold or just robotic or just like how do you continue to meet people with compassion and empathy? Does that I'm make sure, sense what I'm asking? Sure, there are a number of people who enter the profession who leave at some point because they become uh, desensitized to it um, and they need to find something else because it's, it is very difficult at times, but the satisfaction that I receive and I feel like our staff members have always been proud of is that by being there and being a good ear and being a, a good director to guide them. Well, most people come to a funeral home, they don't have a clue what needs to be done. Provide them the, op- the options that they can have and then guide them through this, not encourage them to do anything, but give them the freedom to decide and then support that throughout. Uh, we don't We don't ever need to to put in any more burden on them than is already there. Yeah. And so it about the dealing with it, it's it's very refreshing or rewarding, I might say, to feel that we have made a difference in a positive way during those few days that they're dealing with us and we're, do, we're there to help them. If we've done our best that we can do, then we can't do any more. And I... I do honestly every every morning, every day that we are going to have a funeral service activity for a family, I ask good Lord to help us, meaning myself and my son, all of our staff, my wife, everyone's there, to provide that family the best they can receive for what they need during that mm. day or those days. Mm. It's meaningful. It's very meaningful. Well, yeah, and that's fantastic answer. I, I, I'm curious, how has being around death on a daily basis, how do you think it's changed your life? How do you think it's changed your perspective? Well, I'm, unlike a lot of folks, and I've been been associated with it for so much of my life that I can't reach back and pick a particular turning point. It's just, uh, of course, some experience I've had, and those might be for traumatic, more traumatic than normal. A natural death, but uh, it's made me very appreciative of every day I have and my family and my kids and my grandkids. Now it's I think we may have a high sense of of appreciation for our our God given situation. And yes, we have death in our family. We have experienced death in our family. And we grieve just like everyone else, and it's mm. as hard on us as it is on anybody. Mm. But by knowing where those people in our lives will probably be beyond that, we, we feel they're, mm-hmm. they're doing well and doing better in some cases than they would have if they lasted longer. We always, we always have special feelings for every family because we've experienced that ourselves. Mm. Yeah, the the Bible talks about, as uh, David says, that we are to or teach us God to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And that just, I was reminded of that when you're talking about the perspective that you have and just appreciating life and, and living with a heightened sense of just like a 
God's gifts in your life, what you have. So, yeah, there's a way, I think, to live with the end of mind that's actually healthy. It's not morbid at all, mm-hmm. but just like, yeah, like life is short. And you just never know, right? I mean, uh-huh. I know in the years you've been, you've buried old and you've buried very young, you know. And exactly. I was, at, I was at a funeral last week for, uh, I think it was a nine-month-old, you know, and it's just, you just don't ever know. Um, how do you, and we're going to get to the rescue squad in just a moment and, and the, kind of your passion and, and behind starting the rescue squad, but one of the questions I guess I just have just is, is so you're in two different worlds that both are, are pretty traumatic, you're seeing some some traumatic stuff. Like you're seeing, if it's not death, you're seeing um, people who have been wounded in incredible ways, hurt, right? And so how do you turn that off when you go home? Or are you, is, is that even possible? Like how do you differentiate like kind of from those things? Is that possible? No, to me, no. It's, uh, it doesn't haunt me continuously, but uh, you process it in your own mind. And, and again, like in the funeral profession, if you have made every effort to do the very best by maintaining good training and then providing best care you can for that individual that you're hoping to save, prevent a death and save their life, uh, you have a certain amount of pride about that and you feel good when you when you go home, you hug your wife, you hug your kids a little tighter maybe in certain situations. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, it's something that doesn't haunt me. I don't carry it with me. And hopefully, those who throughout the world who serve by serving by saving others, helping others to not succumb from particular incident that their bodies has existed, and help them to live on. It's very extremely rewarding. Yeah. And you can, I'm sure, all who serve in that capacity or similar ways in the in the medical field. And ours is is connected out to the on scene initial happening. It's very beneficial for us to feel that we've when we hear we've that made a difference to that person did because of something we've done. Majority of our calls and for us getting out when we had the ambulance service that I grew up in, it wasn't uh, there. There was no way to know sometimes because we might we might get them to the hospital and then they would send them on to another facility on out of town. But when we knew that we had made a difference in them living, it was very special. When we couldn't do that, because it was, it was couldn't be prevented that they did not survive, and if they came to our funeral home, then we followed up with the family on that. And so we had the unique perspective of what that individual's went through experience and that family experience before they came in to talk about funeral services. Mm. So it's, it, it, but a lot of people question why funeral home operate am service. Well, that was something that happened all the years before, probably because the, the all the accessories that are available today in this world mm-hmm. were not then. Mm-hmm. And a funeral home had to have a vehicle, a hearse, that the people call it. We call them funeral coaches in our field, but... Uh, to transport usually casket remains to the cemetery, to the church and cemetery. And those vehicles could also be used for transporting a stretcher for the patient. Mm. So consequently, funeral homes operate ambulance services. Many, many years went by before there was any real training available or equipment on the market. And I experienced that from going starting out with virtually nothing 
uh, to what what is now available for ambulances that are fully equipped. Mm. It makes a huge difference. But yes, funeral homes provide emergency ambulance service and non-emergency ambulance service. That seemed weird to people. <laughs> yeah. But if they had the right heart about it and they truly cared, that would turn out to be the best care people could receive at that point. Mm. Well, tell me how you started the rescue squad. You know, Robert has started things. Well, I've started things. We're always really interested in, in entrepreneurship. Yeah. Like, how did that happen? How did you start? Why? Let me start with this. Why did you start the rescue squad? Well, I'll just share this. When I was you know, a teenager, not the young teenager, 13, but I'm guessing I was approximately 15, 14 at the time, uh, I do recall riding, I started riding the ambulances, the second person is attended. Again, the training was not available beyond basic first aid. But my dad was driving the ambulance one night. I was in the back with a patient. As we approached the hospital, the man took his last breath, and I, I never forgot that. I've never, to this day, have forgotten that. I'm, I can be there right now in my mind. Uh, Why do so, you think that stuck with you so much? Because, man, because I could not make a difference. I could not prevent him from taking his last breath or do anything about it when he did. Fortunately, we were close to the hospital, but the ER personnel did all they could. So we were a minute from being in the emergency room, and it was not a salvageable situation anyway, I'm sure. But that's still haunting me, and it has all my life. And so when I when they started coming up, coming along with some training availability, I jumped on everything I could. I wanted to be better prepared to provide, when I could, a different uh, response to that than what I could that time. Yeah, to get to get to people quicker, I guess, right? The, Provide them with the resources, the tools. The, well, that, that you're touching on the part after we, uh, on working wrecks, well, yes, we we had to remove people before rescue squad started operating northeast Arkansas in primarily Green County. We had to twist people different ways or any way we could to remove them from vehicles if they were entrapped or or if they weren't trapped, we couldn't open the doors. We're still telling what kind of damage that could do to somebody. Exactly, right? exactly. And I've I wondered for years how many people had aggravating injury who lived but had aggravating injuries because of being moved more than needed to be. So that led me to want to start assist uh, rescue squad. We discussed, we got out of the ambulance business in in the end of seventy seven through seventy seven. We operated the ambulance business. I went to city county and, and discussed with them about us donating equipment and the other funeral home donating equipment, and let the city county take our lamps. Was we were ready to, to the reason I did. My wife rode with me, and was an EMT also on the night calls until she was so far along in her first pregnancy with her first child that she couldn't go. After that, she could not go with me. I had to keep the ambulance with me. Every place we went, she had to take the baby with her. And so I felt like I needed to make other changes. We did get out of the ambulance business. Uh, the city county took over the ambulance. We donated to them and with the other things. And that, it operated two years. Then the hospital assumed that city county did not want to continue anymore. So the hospital assumed that they've been operating ever since. The ambulance that we donated went to the hospital from the city county operation to the hospital. When they were about to sell it, I had started the rescue squad. We needed an equipment truck. I, I was carrying things in my 
my GTL convertible for a while until I bought it, personally bought a used Bronco to carry when we got to Jaws of Life. You personally bought it? I personally bought a used Bronco to carry Jaws of Life. I couldn't carry that in my, in my GTL. So once we raised money and got that, we used the Bronco until the hospital donated the ambulance that I previously worked out of and with the assurance that we would not do patient care, uh, transport. We would do patient removal for the ambulance service. So that's, that's transgressions worked out pretty well. Wow. The, the rescue squad is, it's, and it has been a passion because uh, I was hoping that once we got out of we couldn't really uh, afford to add that much to the operation of service, and that equipment was just becoming available more so. So I thought maybe it would be provided by the city county or by the AM service hospital, and they were still getting working out kinks on other things. So I decided to try to get raise interest and raise money and get the equipment. And well, we started and got the first set of spreader, cutter. The jaws of life is a common term in northeast Arkansas outside of Jonesboro Fire Department. They did not like to leave the city. They only sent two people on the truck with that equipment. They, it was, their intention was to provide it in the city. So they preferred not to go too far out of the city. I understand that. So we, when we got the rescue squad operational, I had and rapidly got more equipment through the support of civic clubs and uh, so many folks chipping in, helping out donations. Then we were being called to Duncan County, to Clay County, in the Craighead County, to uh, all the surrounding counties we would respond. And so it was a busy, kind of busy operation for us, but uh, uh, we wanted, we didn't want to leave Green County unattended, but we took a chance, and fortunately we never were needed in Green County when we were at another county helping out. When did you we, sleep back then? Oh, whenever. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we we helped other counties. We helped Corning. We went up, I made three trips to Corning with equipment to show it to the council and encouraged to help the council for the fire department. They wanted to get into it, so we helped them get started. We went to other cities and counties to help them get started. So now all the every county and probably almost every city has uh, life-saving equipment. It's incredible. I mean... Thank you for the sacrifice you made, um, because I think most people listening to this can probably think of at least someone in their life who has benefited from the rescue squad. Yeah, um, I'm curious. Is there? I, don't, I know you probably can't give a name. Maybe you can. Maybe you can't. Maybe you don't want to. But is there a call that you responded to in all your years that brings you the most joy when you think about it now? Of like a time, or maybe you just knew, like, if the rescue squad had not have been there, this person wouldn't be alive today. I can think of numerous ones that that would be the case, but one that's never left me was uh, in the south of life, just outside of life, and when the old overhead bridge used to go through there. And it, and, uh, it was a, a large truck that overturned. The, the driver was trapped in. Uh, Randy Cothman, who's no longer here, but I don't know Randy, he's ministry in, in northwest Arkansas now. He was in Oklahoma for a while. Randy was with me on that up close working on it we got inside the truck trying to we took the windshield got in trying to get the man free and we were doing everything we could but we could not get one leg free and couldn't find with all this debris we couldn't find where it's located we had guys on the outside looking at the bottom of it, trying to work through it 
and he was becoming shocky. And I could tell he was. So we were becoming what? Shocky about going shock. We were going to lose him if we couldn't. How have, can you tell someone's about to go into shock? Well, he was just going downhill fast, okay. and, and uh, he was semi-conscious at first. And so to remove him, we needed need to get something done quickly. And we'd been 20-plus minutes trying to find a way to get him out of there, even with equipment, but so much we could do with that big truck. And, and we're the only thing binding us was locating what was holding that foot. And I looked across at Randy, and we didn't. We don't talk when somebody's possibly conscious, uh, if we don't have to. And I looked at him with the uh, eye signal, and he shook his head no, like, can you see any other option? And he couldn't, I couldn't. And I'm going to tell you, I, I talked to God. I just took a moment, and I talked to God, and I said, we've done all we can do. We need help. And many people may question this, but I can, I'm here to tell you, Within a couple minutes, somehow, we found I was able to move that foot and work it loose. We got him out, got him on spine board, got him out through the windshield, got him the ambulance was there, of course, took him to the hospital. A few years later, that man walked in on the cane, walked in the office funeral home to thank me. Mm. That meant the world. Wow. But it wasn't us. We did the physical part here on Earth. But we had help. I believe that. Wow. But you put yourself in the position to be used by God, you know, even with your narrative and the, the way you remember the story. And, man, just such courage that it takes to do that job. And I know there's still people doing that today, like the courage. And, and I'm just curious, like, how do you keep your head? Like, how do you stay calm in the in that moment, because you don't know what you're going to find, right? I mean, you sure. you're walking on up on situations where people are, they're losing. Some people are just they're in excruciating pain. They're terrified. You've got minutes, seconds. How do you? Is there anything that you say to yourself? Is it just? Is you know you've talked a couple times about prayer. Is like how do you stay calm? Because obviously, if you're not calm, you're not going to be able to do your job very no, well. Exactly. So how do you keep yourself in that state where you're not getting all caught up in the anxiety of the moment? Well, I'm sure the experience of individuals. The, the more experience I have, the more it helps them, and the training also. So uh, we've been we, over the years. We've had so many fantastic people who volunteered to serve on the rescue squad, and have gone through years and years of it. And and there's still still have people wanting to join that. And once they experience something similar to that, or just know that they've made a difference, uh, it's something they continue working and doing, and they can handle it because they know what the outcome can be. Mm. and they know they have to stay calm and communicate well. And we're very fortunate to have solid people on there who really can handle And Now, you know, the worst situations are going to be too hard for some, and we have a policy that if, they're, if it's real bad, they need to talk about it either right then or back at the station after that if possible. And, and I always – they understand – they can call me 24-7. If they can't get sleep at night or they're having problems with it, I want them to contact me. We'll talk it out. I'll meet with them. And so far, I mean, I'm not licensed uh, on on psychology and such, but uh, it's just common sense to, to me is to let them talk it out and 
Sometimes that's all they need. I've had them catch me when I was leaving the office at 2.30 in the morning. They were getting off work at the job at 2 a.m. at factory. Pull up the driveways. I was about to pull out. I had one fellow do that. And he, he hadn't been asleep. His wife told him to get off the rescue squad. He didn't want to. He stopped and visited with me for about 45 minutes to an hour. He was good. He made it past that. So they have to. We've, we, our crew worked a four fatality teenage bad accident years ago. We got out outside of it was during the night, so the traffic wasn't around, people weren't around, thank you, except the responders and law enforcement. We got over away from everybody in a quiet place. We had a huddle and we had a prayer. And we, we have guys on our squad normally who are have in the ministry or connected in some way who are real good at handling that too and helping mm-hmm. everybody else do it. Mm-hmm. So you just have to you have to realize what your purpose is and know that you have to stay together to get the, to this. And then later on, we'll deal with yeah. the other. Why do you think you've been, I'm pulling up the, the list again of your accomplishments. Um, they've always been others-centered. So I'm looking at your accomplishments, and none of these really just seem to be about some personal goal that you set for yourself just to make your own life better. Um you're very community community oriented, you know. I, whether it was the funeral home, I mean, I guess I'm just curious. Like, why didn't you know? When I look at the, you know, you served the president of several different, you know, whether it's school committees or the chamber, or you know, um, whether it's you know starting the rescue squad, <clears throat> the Rotary Club, all of these things. Why didn't you just work in the funeral home and make some money? And just kind of keep to yourself. Like, why? What is it? Was it your parents? Was it? Does it just go back to that moment, the ambulance when you were a teenager? Like, what is? What was the drive that you thought like truly? I want to serve this community, and I want to leave it better than I found it. Because you've done that. I told my kids that when we got done talking, I said to my three kids because they were out there running around. I was like, I was like, kids, like that man has done what I hope that all of us are able to do, which is he's going to leave this community better than he found it. But that took a lot of hard work and took a lot of sacrifice. What was the driving, like what was the passion, what was the vision behind that? Where did that come from? Well, that's the community itself. I I grew up here. I had a wonderful life. My friends did. My family did. Uh, and I wanted to give back in some way. And there's always opportunities. So many people can get involved in so many different organizations in Imperial Arkansas that are beneficial to everybody in one form or another. And so I was I, I was pleasantly surprised to be invited or asked to serve on different groups, different committees and such. And you gain more than you put into it. You, you That's a more. big statement, by the way, because a lot of people don't know that. Oh yes, of yeah. of you know, and and not trying to over spiritualize the conversation, but I mean, Jesus said thousands of years ago, it's it's more blessed to give than receive, and the word he uses there for blessed, it's the Greek word makarios, which means happy. So he's like, the happiest people are those who serve. Like you get more out of it than you put in, Absolutely. and you just you and you would say, I agree, right? Absolutely, no doubt. And and you know, I've been I've been blessed so many ways, and. And my strongest blessing in my lifetime is, is my wife, Jan, and she has supported me in 
everything that I got involved in. I know when I told her I was going to start rescue squad, she had second thoughts and knew she wouldn't see me for a while, but she supported me. And she she has she had to be on board, right? Right, and she served on the you know one of those things. I was on the Christmas parade committee. I got to be involved in that mm-hmm. for several years. She was on that also because you like to see little we all of us all of us who served on that like to see little kids at the night of Christmas parade kind of relaxed then because your work's done and it's mm-hmm. moving along, and the look on their faces. You had David. You had Santa Claus here recently. Mm-hmm. He he tell you that I know. Mm-hmm. So these things that people have opportunity to do, don't hesitate to get involved. Even if you think you don't have much to offer, they'll find something for you. Mm-hmm. And you will be rewarded many times over mm-hmm. in helping your community prosper and do better. Mm-hmm. How do you – I'll ask you one more question, I guess, and then we'll maybe get into some rapid-fire questions. How has you, – you've obviously seen Paragold change in your time. You've been here for so long. How has it changed for the better? And then maybe like what are some things that you wish maybe didn't change, like that you wish we could kind of go back and protect or keep from changing, if that makes sense. Well, life was, of course, you hear this, life was simpler in, in my earlier years, and and it was a wonderful small community to live in, and we can't go back because we continue, fortunately, we continue to move forward and make improvements but uh, that that's something that's nice to reminisce on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what was, uh, yeah, in what ways do you think it's changed for the better? Because of uh, kind of only what I almost said there is the people getting together and working together and having the foresight to see what can be, what the community can become and still maintain the goodness about it. Sure, when you grow, a community grows, you're going to receive, get involved or recognize some negatives, but still we have more, many more good folks than not good folks. Mm-hmm. And everybody who has desire to have a wonderful place to live like this is being involved and help mm-hmm. out. Okay. I'm going to say, if I can, something else that I'm proud of. Yes. Uh, this gentleman has owns Amos Fashions, named yeah. Frank Gwynn. Yeah. And Frank has his business right next door to mine. We visit quite a bit, but he invited me in uh, 2014 to join something he had started with the help of another gentleman, Bob Burns, in South Arkansas. The, he started in it was about 1998. Uh, the Arkansas State Police Foundation, and most people know foundation, when, when the word foundation, it's about raising funds, raising money. The reason they did this was to help the troopers, the state troopers and their families with things that the state was not able to provide on a regular basis. And so I was able to start serving on that foundation in 2014. And it's been phenomenal what has been done. Uh, there's millions of dollars have been raised by people supporting that cause throughout the state. And we are in the process of completing, I've just completed the first training track ever in Arkansas and for driving, uh, emergency driving. It's going to be open to emergency responders beyond the state police. But uh, it's about a three-mile track. It's amazing to see it. We are we keep raising funds as much as we can. We'll have a, a total complete uh, at Camp Robinson. We have three acres that they let us have up in the corner of the property, and we have been able to 
build a track. We're building a four-story tower to for control tower. Well, they can see the whole track from up there, and plus other and, uh, operation inside that. We're currently building and complete about to complete a a classroom training center, and we we last year I came on we completed a firing range, which and not just a firing range but the building and the uh, vault for the weapons and all that. So the training will be enhanced eventually in the near future. We will have. The Arkansas State Police will have all of their training at one location where they had never been that way before. And up until we got the track, the only place I had to practice driving, emergency driving, was at an airport somewhere, small airport. That's no longer the case. And police officers, law enforcement, emergency response people can train on that track. So I'm That's incredible. I'm proud. And Frank is the main person that has done he's he served two stints on the uh, as commissioner of state police commission and he's developed such an interest and respect for all who serve what a great example of just how <clears throat> i mean it, the change that you guys have, have been able to bring about and we could talk about that'd be a whole podcast on this foundation but it started with a conversation between you and frank right there's exactly. two guys, and I think like people need to hear that because a lot of times we, we see things we want changed, but we're like, there's nothing I could do about that. But it starts the conversation and then saying, I guess, you just start making phone calls. Is that what happened? You just start calling this person, that person, then they say, well, now call this person. You we call have, that person, you just keep chasing it down, and eventually you... We have fundraiser. We do, uh, and now they're, they're, they've started the golf tournament. So first National Bank Perigal started the first golf tournament a few years back. Now there are, I think, Five to seven, I don't remember all locations right now, golf tournaments annually that raise quite a bit of needed funds towards that end. Wow. I love it. Well, let's move into some rapid-fire questions. And I've got a new oh. rapid-fire question today, and it's just for Butch Heath. I've not oh. asked it to anybody. No, that's not sure. I asked to Dick Pace. Oh. And now I'm going to ask it to you. What is your favorite cemetery in town? Favorite cemetery? Well, this might get personal because oh, this uh, where my my wife's family is buried, and where I've spent most of my time growing up over the years uh, is Linwood Cemetery. Okay, and we mm. and we have property there, and uh, so that's that's closer to me than any others. But uh, I know we've talked about some county cemeteries, and there's so much history. Throughout this county, yes, there is, and and I know you you're learning a lot of that. I am. It, when you get that book written, <laughs> oh, that, yeah, yeah, it's going to be. Uh, I can I it. can definitely write up. If there's anything I could do, I could write a book about the cemeteries at Green County. There you go. That's going to be my legacy. We've got to get out of Clark's Chapel, by the way. I heard it's the oldest one in the county. Now that really, may, it, that may be. I remember years ago I helped clean that up. Uh, we got a few others on the lines on the chamber board. And we went out and cleaned. Well, it had been neglected for years. Yeah. And it's a small cemetery. It's in the city limits of Perigo, but they were starting to build uh, factories in that area, and they wanted to preserve the, the graves over there. So we went out and cut weeds, and this, we, did, we just did a good cleanup job on it. Mm -hmm. And it's been done by others since then because it's kind of out of the way, off the beaten path, and people don't think about it. But uh, you may be right. I may be those. We'll have to figure that out because I would assume Gainesville is the oldest. But that's interesting. Yeah, I would. 
Yeah. Let's clear this. Let's clear the schedule tomorrow afternoon. We'll Please. get there. And I'm sure the people listening would love for yeah. us to give them an answer. <laughs> they're wait. They're waiting. Oh, absolutely. I don't know how many emails we've gotten about that. Some people are stopping the podcast <laughs> in Groves right now. Next, uh, and so all right, let's go to the next question. Uh, what is either the last show or movie you watched, or what is the last book you read? Um. I'm not big on either one. I'm watching a lot of movies. Or, or what about newspapers but, or magazines? But uh, the, I say my favorite movie. Okay, that'll work. Is movie Dave? Dave, you recall that? Oh, that the president, the that's look-alike a, president. That's, that's yes. a look-alike president who <laughs> was never a, heard of it. Who oh was my just goodness. like any of us, a com, common worker. Yeah. In in the business of something, and he matched the president. The president was was uh, on his deathbed, and they didn't want anybody to know it. So they recognized him, put, pulled Dave in, and he got the, got the country in good order. He did. He did. did. He? Normal go, Joe. Dave. When yeah, did that come out? He had a good best oh, friend. Late 90s. Late 90s, okay. Yeah. He had a best friend who was accountant. So they spent Yeah, and he time. fixed the budget. He fixed the national exactly. budget. <laughs> his accountant. Friend. I know nothing That's about this, but I'm writing it down on my legal pad right it's now. It's one of my favorite Dave. movies. That's a great one. All right. <laughs> That's good. Uh, it's not too often that people mention something on here I've never heard of. Sigourney but. Weaver's in it. She's the first lady. Oh, okay. There you go. Um, let's see. What is your favorite band or just favorite genre of music if you don't have a favorite well, band? Well, I'm going to go back to the days of the Beach Boys. I'm, yeah. At my age, I can reach way back on that. So. Yeah, but the, 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 the type of music that those bands had was clean, Sure. Wholesome is great. Sure. Here's a little fun fact for you. First cassette I ever owned was a Beach Boys cassette. Wow. One Christmas, my parents bought me a uh, cassette player with a Beach Boys tape. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, um, what is your favorite meal? My wife's. <laughs> well, which one? Like, what meal? Everyone she cooks is outstanding. Are you serious? But everyone? Everyone. I'm telling you. She is. She is a tremendous cook. You're gonna have to. I'm gonna say, I will, yeah, I, I'm waiting for the invitation. <laughs> we'll we'll give you a call. We'll get you there. I'll just drop in, you know. But, but if you were just gonna have one last meal, I'm curious. Her cooking. Well, it's gonna be her cooking. You're just one last meal. You know, that's I'll all say, you get. To answer your question, that I think you were getting it. We occasionally, very rarely, we go out to eat, but especially the last couple of years. But uh, when we go to where they serve steaks and whatever, I know that steaks are delicious, and I enjoy steaks. But I know that fish is healthier, and I've developed a tremendous appreciation for the taste of salmon. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. I like and uh, when we go somewhere that's, that can prepare salmon and make a good meal out of it, that's what I'll have. Mm. I could have sworn you were going to say a Jim Dandy from Dairy Queen, but hey. I just, just when you think you know a guy. Boy. Hey, so. hey there's always cheat days, too. You know? <laughs> that and a good old blizzard. Right. Um, uh, the blizzard, the Chocolate Extreme Blizzard with all this. Dark I've not chocolate. had the Chocolate Extreme. Well, I'm, I'm chocolate nut, so I've never branched away from the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. That's been my go-to since I was as far back as I can remember. I've literally never ordered anything different than a Reese's Peanut Butter Boy, Cup Blizzard. It ain't broke. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, what is on your nightstand right now? My rescue pager. My first response radio. Two pictures of the last two most recent fur babies we had that we mm. no longer have. Mm. And not a picture of my wife because I just turned 
across the other way. I get to hear all the time. Yeah, thank you, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, two more. So give us a snapshot of an ordinary moment in your life that brings you great joy. What's just an ordinary moment in your life that brings you great joy? It starts with Jan and the three children we were blessed with and their children. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've, we're blessed with six grandchildren. And it's just the best thing in the world. Mm-hmm. It truly is. And I'm, I'm so, super grateful for being here today, mm-hmm. for being here in the live sense, because I, I had spent two years dealing with cancer and surgeries and chemo, but the Lord brought me through it. And when you said something much earlier on this visit, was I believe there is I believe He truly has something else for me, for me to do that would be good. I hope so. I hope I recognize it. But I'm pleased I was able to be involved in the various ways I have over my life. Well, that answer is actually my last question I was going to ask, which is what is one thing you're deeply grateful for right now? And I'm glad that you're here too. I'm grateful that you're here. Um, Our city, our quality of life is truly better because of the work you've done. And I know that you give credit to a lot of other people around you. For sure, you give credit to God. But you've also been there. And so thank you very, very much. And I hope that there are many other butchies out there to come who take your example to heart and truly don't just say kind of, you know, I know it's cliche, but not what can the community do for me, but what can I do for my community? Because that was certainly your posture. Um, So thank you very, very much for all that you've done, continue to do. And yeah, I believe that uh, God does for sure have you here. For a reason. I'm so. confident there are others out there who do a much better job than I've done, I'm sure. But I'm proud that folks, many folks, step up to the plate. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on. I'll be looking for that invitation to come eat some of your Wasco cooking. So uh, I appreciate it. We'll, we'll have a wonderful meal, I guarantee. You. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you much. Thanks so much for coming on, and if you're still listening, thanks for tuning in. As always, uh, we're so glad to have you with us. If you want to, uh, we would encourage you, please go give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Um, That helps people to find us more quickly and learn about just incredible stories like we just heard and the amazing people who live here. Also, um, if you've not found us already, uh, we're on Facebook. Follow us. Give us a like there. We're also on Instagram as well. As always, thanks so much for listening. Until next time.